Author Anne Gordon tells the story of Father Maximilian Colby, a Catholic priest who was a prisoner at Auschwitz in August 1941. A prisoner escaped from the camp, and in reprisal, the Nazis ordered that 10 prisoners die by starvation. Father Colby offered to take the place of one of the 10 condemned men. The Nazis kept Colby in the starvation bunker for two weeks and then put him to death by lethal injection on August 14th. 1941. Thirty years later, a survivor of the camp described the effect of Colby's action. He says, It was an enormous shock to the whole camp. We became aware that someone among us in this spiritual dark night of the soul was raising the standard of love on high. Someone unknown, like everyone else, tortured and bereft of name and social standing, went to a horrible death for the sake of someone not even related to him. Therefore, it is not true, we cried, that humanity is cast down and trampled in the mud, overcome by oppressors and overwhelmed by hopelessness. Through Colby's act of love, Thousands of prisoners were convinced the true world continued to exist and that our torturers would not be able to destroy it. To say that Father Colby died for us or for that person's family is too great a simplification. His death was the salvation of thousands We were stunned by his selfless act, his selfless love, which became for us a mighty explosion of light in the darkness of the camp. Father Colby gave an incredible gift to his fellow prisoners. He gave the gift of love. 2,000 years ago, someone else gave an incredible gift of love. As we were reminded by the actor portraying Mary in the video we just saw, Jesus is God's gift of love to us as humans. The Apostle John said it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Mary is the one through whom God chose to give this extraordinary gift of love to the world. She would be able to love Jesus not only because she would be His mom, but also because He first loved her before she even realized what love could be towards her. Again, the Apostle John speaks of the richness of God's initiating love for all people, and that certainly includes Mary. In 1 John 4, 9-10, we read, 
This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The capacity Mary had to love Jesus as his mom was created in her by Jesus before she ever knew what her heaven-sent assignment was going to be as the one who would carry him in her womb. Since the angel Gabriel had conveyed her unique task, Mary had been anticipating the moment she would meet her firstborn son, conceived not by her husband, but by the Holy Spirit. She likely experienced the full spectrum of emotions from the time of her angelic angelic encounter, announcing her highly favored status, through the nine months of what appeared to others as an embarrassing and shameful illegitimate pregnancy, through her first delivery and the crass surroundings of a stench-filled cattle barn, to the unexpected arrival of some most unlikely guests. Indeed, unlikely guests there were. Luke tells us that angels had heralded the birth of the Savior to shepherds of all people caring for their sheep on the surrounding hillsides. In Luke 2, 16 to 18, we read that the shepherds hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they, the shepherds, reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. What was Mary doing as the shepherds knelt in awe and wonder around the manger? In Luke 2.19, we read, But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart, and meditating on them. Luke tells us that Mary was listening, lingering, and loving everything she was hearing from these shepherds who had come to adore the one she already was in love with deeper than she ever thought possible. Mary was a new mom. And if she was like so many mothers, so many other mothers who have described the elation of meeting her firstborn after the difficult journey through pregnancy and the painful finish line of pushing and straining of labor, love indeed wins the day. Mary was in love with her wrinkle-faced son and likely had counted all his fingers and toes more than once, for sure. Now she's taking in all the stories from the shepherds, and and it sounds like something she experienced nine months earlier. While she recovered, Mary welcomed the, the faithful ones who came bearing stories, adoration, and praise for God's love now come in human flesh. Considering all this from 21 centuries later, it's as if Mary could have been nodding in agreement with the lyrics that would be written over a thousand years into the future. 
O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. One reason Mary could have been nodding in agreement as she allowed all that happened in the stable to be indelibly indelibly imprinted upon her heart is because she was faithful herself. As a faithful Jewish female who had just given birth, she knew she could only welcome others to come to adore Jesus for so long before two significant dates would be upon her. In Luke 2, 21, we learn that not long after, Jesus would be formally welcomed into the historically rich Israeli family through the covenant of circumcision only eight days after his birth. Just three weeks later, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus would all head to Jerusalem and to the temple as faithful Jews declaring their love for God at Jesus' firstborn redemption ceremony. In Luke 2, 22-24, we read this, And when the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. While they were at the temple, they met a godly man who prophesied over Jesus and Mary. In Luke 2, 25 to 33, we read, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, You can dismiss your servant in peace as you promise, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people, Israel. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. In these verses we learn that Simeon had been told by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before seeing God's Messiah. He was prompted by the Holy Spirit to go to the temple, and there he held Jesus in his arms. As he did, Simeon declared Jesus to be God's salvation, a Savior, the Messiah, who would be the glory of Israel and a light to the Gentiles. Joseph and Mary stood in amazement as they listened to Simeon's pronouncement. Their hearts must have been filled again with wonder as they had been on the night of Jesus' birth over the bundle of love God had delivered into their care. But Simeon also had some poignant words of warning for Mary. We read in verse 34, listen to this. 
Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A few moments earlier, Mary had stood marveling at the declaration that her son was the promised Messiah who would bring salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. But now her emotions tumbled as she heard that her son would stir controversy. She heard that her heart would be emotionally pierced as she saw the division among her own people as they would debate the messianic claims that he would That he would bring, and as she would helplessly one day watch him die. Just like Jesus was presented to the Jewish people that day at his firstborn redemption ceremony in the temple, he would, in the years ahead, be presented again in Jerusalem to the Jewish nation, but this time in very different circumstances. Simeon's prophecy would come true as Jesus stood before Pilate who condemned him to be crucified. Soon, nails would pierce his hands and feet and a sword his side. A piercing that was spoken prophetically over three decades earlier, not far from Calvary's cross, would occur in the heart of his mother. Mary's heart would once again be filled with love, but this time accompanied by great sorrow, sadness, and pain as she watched life ebb from his body. Why would Mary have to endure that pain? Why would Jesus have to die? It was because of your sin and because of my sin because of our rebellion against God. The Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible also says, For the wages of sin is death, separation from God both now and forever. But God didn't want us to remain separated from him He wants us to be with him in his presence now and forever. The only way that our sin could be paid for was for someone who hadn't sinned, who was not guilty of rebellion against God, to die in our place. To die as a substitute. To take the penalty of eternal death that should have been yours and mine. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? Why? Because of love. Because of love. The gift of God resonates from the cross down the halls of eternity to every single human being. That voice says, I love you. I died for you.
you may not know it, but the Victoria Cross is Canada's highest military honor. This medal is awarded for personal acts of valor above and beyond the call of duty. The first Victoria Cross of World War II was awarded to Company Sergeant Major John Robert Osborne. The Sergeant Major and his men were cut off from their battalion and under heavy attack in the Battle of Hong Kong. When the enemy came close enough, the Canadian soldiers were subjected to a concentrated barrage of grenades. Several times, Osborne protected his men by picking up live grenades and throwing them back. But eventually, one fell just in the wrong position to pick up in time. With only a split second to decide, Osborne shouted a warning, shoved aside a fellow soldier, and threw himself on top of the grenade. It exploded, killing him instantly. The rest of his company survived the battle because of Osborne's selfless love for his friends. As beautiful and as moving as was this heroic and selfless act of love by this soldier, through Jesus, we see an even greater love in the heart of God. You see, soldiers who fall on grenades do so out of love for their friends while they're on the battlefield trying to kill their enemies. Jesus died for his friends and for his enemies. In fact, the Bible indicates in Romans 5.10 that apart from Jesus, we are all enemies of God. We have rebelled against his authority. We have chosen to do life our way rather than submitting to his rulership. We have exalted ourselves as the master of our fate. And here's an amazing thing. An amazing thing. God chose to love us while we were his enemies. While we were still living in a state of rebellion toward him, God gave up his son to die for us. Romans 5.8 says it like this, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait or God didn't wait for you to repent of your sin, to surrender to him and his will before sending his gift of love. No, love compelled him to send the gift of his son while you were still in rebellion toward him. While you were his enemy, God sent his love to you and to me, wrapped in the form of a baby. But make no mistake, The purpose of the baby in the manger was not to be ood and odd over. His purpose was to die on a cross. Why? Because of love. Just like Father Colby, the Polish priest we talked about a few moments ago, 
Just in the same way that out of love he chose to give his life as a gift to another prisoner, so did Jesus. Out of his great and unfathomable love, Jesus chose to give his life as a gift to you and to me. What have you done with God's gift? Have you rejected it? Or have you received, opened, and cherished it? You say, Kent, how do I do that? How do I, how do, how do I receive God's gift? Well, four things very quickly. First, you must admit. Ad, admit what, you might say? Admit. You must admit that you need God's gift. You must agree with God that you have sinned, that you have rebelled against him and his rightful authority over your life. Second, you must turn. Turn from what? Turn from sin. The Bible calls this repentance. To repent means to give Jesus control of your life and to follow his instructions for how to live. You say, Kent, I don't think I could do that. I, I don't think that, that, that I could, that I could uh, give Jesus control of my life and that I could follow his instructions for living. You know what the truth is? You can't on your own. But God will help you if you choose to give him the reins of your heart. Third, You must believe and confess. You must believe that when Jesus died on the cross as your substitute, that that he was taking the penalty of death and of separation from God that should have been yours. And you must believe and confess that three days later that Jesus rose from the dead to give you eternal life. Fourth, you must receive By faith, you must receive the gift of forgiveness in life that God has given to you. A gift only becomes of value to the recipient when it's received and opened. The wise men brought some gifts to Jesus. But you know what? Those gifts wouldn't have been of any value, they wouldn't have been of any significance if they weren't opened, received, and used. And it's the same way with God's gift. God offers each one of us a gift. He doesn't force it upon us. He offers us the gift of his son, and he says, will you take what I've done for you, and will you open it It's a good thing God's gift is not quite as hard to open. Maybe it's trying to remind us that that second part, the repentance, we said uh, can be kind of tough, and it is on our own. But with God's help, the gift can be opened. And what is inside? God's love, his forgiveness, and eternal life can become yours and mine. Have you received the gift of love that God sent to be born by a teenage girl named Mary that was laid in a 
feeding trough. And that one day hung on a cross for your sins. If not, you can today. Just like the shepherds, you can choose to come and adore Christ the Lord, the Savior, God's gift of love to you. At the conclusion of our gathering today, in just a few minutes, some of our prayer team members will be here at the front to talk with and to pray with you and to help you better understand how you can receive God's gift of love. What about those of, those of us that are here that have already received God's gift of love? The question for you and for me is this, are you cherishing God's gift? Are you hanging out around the manger this Advent and Christmas season? Like the shepherds, are you adoring the Savior that God has sent for you? Like Mary, are you treasuring the gift of love that God has given you? Are you thanking him for his indescribable gift? This second Sunday of Advent and throughout the Christmas season, let us remember, let us celebrate, and let us adore the greatest and most precious gift we've ever been given. The gift of love. The gift of a Savior. The gift of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, in the stillness and quiet of these moments, we remember in the stillness and quiet of some moments in a cattle barn 2,000 years ago, you sent us the greatest and most precious gift that we could ever receive. You sent us what we desperately needed you sent us the gift of love, the gift of your Son, the gift of Jesus. And God, you sent us your gift while we were still in our sin. You sent us the gift while we were your enemies. God, that's a kind of love that I, I don't know and I don't think I could bring myself to give up one of my sons for people who were spurning me and who were rebelling against me and who were telling me they didn't want me in their life. But you did. And today we say thank you. Lord, I pray right now that in these moments that the truth of your love and the power of your love would touch our hearts deeply. Lord, that you would get, open our, the, 
the understanding of our hearts and our minds to really perceive how vast, how deep, how amazing, how incredible your love was and continues to be. And Lord, I pray for each one of us right now that as we see and perceive the gift that we would choose, Lord, to receive it from you, to to take it from you. You offer it freely to us. Lord, help each one of us, whatever that step may be, whether it's for the very first time to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Thank you for loving me so much that you not only came, but came to earth as a baby, but you grew up to be a man and you died for me, for my sins. So those sins could be forgiven and washed away and so that I could have eternal life. And Jesus, we say thank you that you proved who you were. You proved we could believe what you said by rising from the dead three days later. Thank you, God, for your indescribable and amazing gift. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.